Hi everyone, welcome to the page to screen edition of the Yakin County Public Library podcast, where each month we'll be discussing a book that has been turned into a movie or TV series, as well as the reception of each. This month we're tackling the first book in one of my all-time favorite movie series, and we're just going to start with the first volume because honestly the book is massive and there is way too much between all three parts, as well as the movie counterparts, to fit everything into a short podcast episode. So for 2022's Page to Screen new podcast season, we're going to start off with one of the, in mine and many other opinions, uh, greatest of all time, The Lord of the Rings, more specifically the first volume of the three, The Fellowship of the Ring by the one and only J.R.R. Tolkien. So you'd be really hard pressed to find someone that has not at least heard of The Lord of the Rings that may not know the author or anything else about Middle Earth, but pop culture has ensured a place for The Lord of the Rings in the Literature and Cinematic Hall of Fame. I was first introduced to this epic high fantasy adventure in my junior year of high school during a movie day in a junior ROTC class. My husband, who was also in class with me that day, was already a very seasoned Tolkien fan. He owned several of his works and had already read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy several times, as well as watched all of the Peter Jackson movies several times by this point in the early 2000s. As long as I've known him, he's always let his nerd flag fly way before being a nerd was cool or hip, but at that time, the fantasy genre had not really quite reached the pop culture standard that it holds now which I think can be directly attributed back to those movies and their wild popularity. And they were done so well. Greatest movies of all time. But that's just my opinion. Anyways, (laughs) coupled with the relative newfound widespread appeal of the fantasy genre and my family background, Tolkien was never really on my radar as a reader. At that point in my life, I'd read a lot of historical fiction and classic romantic literature like Jane Austen. So sitting there in that classroom, I would love to say that watching The Fellowship of the Ring that day and then The Two Towers the next day was like a complete life-changing experience (laughs) for me, but alas, much to the chagrin of my loved one, I fell asleep (laughs) towards the end of the second movie. Um, It just wasn't my thing back then. Fantasy was not something that 16-year-old me could appreciate at the time, and I certainly could never imagine myself at that point uh, willingly reading an almost 1,200-page fantasy novel 17 years down the road. So a few years later, I rewatched the trilogy movies, kind of gave them another chance, and I really just fell in love with the story. That movie day in 2004 not only planted the seed for an interest in fantasy and science fiction, but like many others, it also led me down the path of other series like Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, and so many other series, many of which have drawn from the well that is Tolkien, and it's easy to see that there are so many parallels between these different fantasy worlds, and George R.R. R. Martin himself, the Game of Thrones creator, has spoken of the influence that Tolkien's work has had on him. So who was Tolkien? And I hope I don't butcher his name. Um, John Ronald Rule Tolkien was born on January 3rd, 1892, so he just had a, would have just had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, and he lived until September 2nd, 1973. He was an English writer, poet, philologist, and academic. He served as the Rawlinson and Bosworth Professor of Anglo-Saxon and Fellow of Pembroke, Pembroke College, Oxford, from 1925 to 1945, and the Merton Professor of English Language and Literature and Fellow of Merton College, Oxford, from 1945 to 1959. Super smart guy. He was also a close friend of C.S. Lewis, who many of you may already know was the Uh, writer for the Chronicle of Narnia series, as well as a co-member of the informal literary discussion group 
the Inklings. Tolkien was also appointed a commander of the Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth II in March 1972, which is pretty impressive. Um, That was about a year and a half before his death. So after Tolkien's death, his son Christopher published a series of works based on his father's extensive notes and unpublished manuscripts, which includes the Cimmerillion, which I've not read. I think that that's more of, I wouldn't say prequel, but it does um, predate the events of the books we're discussing today. So these together with The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings form a connected body of tales, poems, fictional histories, invented languages, and literary essays about a fantasy world called Arda, and within it, Middle-earth. Between 1951 and 1955, Tolkien applied the term legendarium to the larger part of these writings. While many other authors had published works of fantasy before Tolkien, the great success of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings led directly to a popular resurgence of the genre. This has caused Tolkien to be popularly identified as the father of modern fantasy literature, or more precisely, of high fantasy. Young Tolkien liked to draw landscapes and trees, but his favorite lessons were those concerning languages, and his mother Mabel taught him the rudiments of Latin very early. Tolkien could read by the age of four and could write fluently soon afterwards. His mother allowed him to read many books, and he liked stories about Native Americans and works of fantasy by George MacDonald, but he disliked Treasure Island and the Pied Piper, and he thought (laughs) Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll was amusing but disturbing. In addition, the fairy books of Andrew Lang were particularly important to him and their influence as a parent in some of his later writings. Tolkien's father died when he was three, and then he was later orphaned at 12 when his mother died of acute diabetes. After his father's death, Tolkien grew up in the uh, Edgebaston, I'm not sure if I said that right, area of Birmingham and attended King Edward School, Birmingham, and later St. Philip's School. In 1903, he won a foundation scholarship and returned to King Edward's. While in his early teens, Tolkien had his first encounter with a constructed language, Animalak. Animalak. Anyways, it was an invention of his cousins, Mary and Marjorie, in Clinton. At that time, he was studying Latin and Anglo-Saxon. Their interest in Animalak soon died away, but Mary and others, including Tolkien himself, invented a new and more complex language called Nevbosch. The next constructed language he came to work with, Nefarin, would be his very own creation. Tolkien learned Esperanto sometime before 1909. Around 1909, uh, in June, he composed the Book of the Fox Rook, Rook, a 16-page notebook where the earliest example of one of his invented alphabets appears. For Tolkien, the languages came first. Middle-earth and the Lord of the Rings epics were created around his constructed languages so basically he invented words and then he needed speakers for those words so he just created the books he created the 15 different elvish dialects along with languages for the ints the orcs the dwarves the men and the hobbits and more and all of these are characters within this you know universe that he has honestly there is a huge wealth of information about tolkien out there and this is just really the tip of the iceberg In 2019, Tolkien, a biographical film, was released by Fox Searchlight with Nicholas Holt in the starring role, as well as Lily Collins portraying his wife, Edith Bratt. The movie chronicles his formative years as a young student, as well as his love, friendship, and artistic inspiration among a group of fellow outcasts. Their brotherhood soon strengthens as Tolkien weathers the storm of a tumultuous courtship with Edith and then the outbreak of World War I. These early life experiences later inspired the budding author to write his classic fantasy novels. So I went and saw the movie in theaters, and while 
I, I did enjoy the movie as an entertainment purpose. It was okay. Um, one review I, that I found on Rotten Tomatoes did sum it up best, I think. And the review reads, The Tolkien family has renounced the film not, one imagines, because it paints an unflattering portrait of its subject, but because, by and large, it's a standard look at a man, at a man who is anything but ordinary. So, to be fair, though, the scope of Tolkien's life was so vast, I feel like it would be really hard for any two-hour movie to sum it up appropriately. So, just keep that in mind. With a 51% tomato meter and a 71% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, I think as a Tolkien fan, it's worth a watch, but it's not something that I have watched repeatedly. I think I've watched it maybe once since then, so. But I did enjoy it for what it was. So with all that said, The Lord of the Rings made Tolkien a literary giant, and it's still one of the best-selling books ever written, uh, with over 150 million copies sold. The book was written in stages between 1937 and 1949. Although often called a trilogy, the work was intended by Tolkien to be one volume of a two-volume set along with the Cimmerillion. For economic reasons, The Lord of the Rings was published over the course of a year from July 29, 1954 to August I'm sorry, October 20th, 1955, in three volumes titled The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. The work is divided internally into six books, two per volume, with several appendixes of background material. Some later editions print the entire work in a single volume, which we do have here at the Yakin County Public Library. It is a huge book, um, but we do have it, and following the that follows the author's original intent. He wanted it to be just one big book. Tolkien's work, after an initially mixed reception by the literary establishment, has been the subject of extensive analysis of its themes and origins. Influences on this earlier work and on the story of the Lord of the Rings include philology, mythology, Christianity, earlier fantasy works, and his own experiences in the First World War. I actually listened to a 1964 BBC interview a couple days ago um, between Tolkien and Dennis Geralt. I'm not sure I said that name right, but anyways, the interview was released later in 1971, and it lasts around 40 minutes, but honestly, the tone of the experience really caught me off guard. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it wasn't <laughs> what I heard. So, the interviewer seemed rather hostile and accusatory towards Tolkien, who really seems to have to be on the defense during the discussion and really defend, having to defend his work and his vision for everything. It just wasn't what I was expecting. So it seems that Tolkien's works are received much better now than they were upon, well, not really the initial release, but in that time that it kind of came to fame and as time has progressed on. Society as a whole is a bit more secular than it was 70 years ago, so that may be a part of it too. The, that interview is available on Spotify under a podcast titled An Unexpected Journey if you're interested in listening to it. There are also several other podcast shows available on Spotify that discuss Tolkien's work, if that's something that interests you as well. So, to sum it up as succinctly as I can for those that are completely unfamiliar with the story, basically, good and evil wage all-out war over a piece of jewelry. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, but also that's kind of for real. So, The Lord of the Rings is set in a fantasy place known as Middle-earth, and the fate of Middle-earth is carried into a land called Mordor by two hobbits, Sam and Frodo, who are charged with destroying the one, the one Ring while the West holds out as long as it can against the Dark Lord Sauron's might. The Fellowship of the Ring begins with a prologue for readers who have not read The Hobbit and background information to set the stage for the novel. The body of the volume consists of Book 1, The Ring Sets Out, and Book 2, The Ring Goes South. 
The prologue explains that the work is largely concerned with hobbits, telling of their origins and their habits, as well as how their homeland, the Shire, is organized. It explains how the narrative follows on from The Hobbit, in which the hobbit Bilbo Baggins finds the one ring which had been in the possession of Gollum. Side note, <laughs> Gollum is one of my absolute favorite characters in the movie, portrayed by the legendary Andy Serkis, who really just took Gollum and made it his own. I cannot imagine anybody else in that role ever. Um, so if they ever remake it, that person has some really big shoes to fill. But I digress. So then the book begins with Bilbo's 111th birthday some background information about him and his family and then Bilbo leaves the Shire abruptly and leaves the ring to his cousin and heir Frodo Baggins who is one of the main characters of the story. We also meet the wizard Gandalf who suspects that it's a, that it is a ring of power. 17 years later Gandalf tells Frodo that he has confirmed that the ring is the one lost by the dark Lord Sauron long ago and can, counsels him to take it away from the Shire. Gandalf leaves, pr promising to return by Frodo's birthday and accompany him on his journey, but fails to do so. Frodo sets out on foot, offering a cover story of moving to Crick Hollow, accompanied by his gardener, Samwise Gamgee, and his cousin, Pippin Took. They are pursued by mysterious black riders, but meet a passing group of elves whose chants ward off the riders. The hobbits spend the night with him, them and then arrive the next day at the farm of Farmer Maggot, who takes them to a place called Buckleberry Ferry, where they meet their friend Mary Brandybuck. So now you have the core of the hobbits, you know, they're finally all together, the, the main four. When they reach the house at Crick Hollow, Mary and Pippin reveal that they know about the ring and insist on traveling with Frodo and Sam. So this part of the story was portrayed a little differently in the first movie. Obviously, a movie has to move much quicker. So they did move it along quicker for the sake of getting the plot, movie plot along in the in the movie. Um, basically, Frodo, you know, Bilbo's birthday happens and then he leaves and then Frodo gets the ring and he leaves. So it's very quick compared to the book. So as a movie watcher, like I watched the movies first and then I read the books that was a little strange for me um Tolkien's Tolkien's writing is beautiful but the books do move rather slowly due to his world building so in the book I couldn't say exactly where but I know it's at least 100 pages in before Frodo and his hobbit friends ever leave the Shire and you know whereas in the movie it's it's pretty quickly on so that was a little weird for me but what I'm about to say is probably very divisive depending on your stance <laughs> But I could have really done without the next part in the plot of the book. Uh, my husband, he is on the total opposite spectrum. He chastised me vehemently when we were discussing the book. And I, as I was reading and I was listening to it on Audible. Um, and he couldn't believe my opinion on it. But I'm just going to say it. I do not care for the Tom Bombadil bit. I just don't care about it. Or Goldberry. Or Old Man Willow. Or like really any of that section of the journey. To me, it just felt unnecessary, but it was probably because I was really anxious to get on with it and meet Strider, um, who is also known as Aragorn. Because again, in the movies, it's it moves pretty quickly. So, you know, 100 pages in and we've still not got to Bree. And I was like, what is going on? I don't care about Tom Bombadil. <laughs> I don't care about any of this. Let's just get on with the story. But that's probably one of those things where if you read the book first, you're going to appreciate a lot more than I did. So... Upon further discussion with my husband, there are some really wild theories out there about who Tom Bombadil really is. One prevalent being is that he is actually an all-powerful ethereal being who doesn't really know who he is. He's just, um, I don't know if he's, he hasn't lost his power, but he just doesn't, he's not aware of it, I guess, aware of who he is. Um, even 
and the theories are that he is even more powerful than the Dark Lord Sauron who is attempting to take over Middle-earth. So if you Google Tom Bombadil, you can go down all kinds of rabbit holes <laughs> trying to figure out his significance and his importance to the story. But honestly, I just didn't get that far into them because there are so many opinions out there for one. And two, I wasn't really interested in that bit of Tolkien lore. <laughs> um, if my husband is out there listening to this, I know you're in shock. Um, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Anyways, if any of you have any theories, there are a lot of people out there who are very interested in Tom Bombadil and they have strong opinions on his place in Tolkien's universe. Um, I'm not one of those, but if that's something that you're into, that information is out there. So back to the Fellowship. The Hobbits finally meet up with Strider and Bree, who is a friend of Gandalf's, and there's a lot of plot there that I don't want to ruin for you if you're unfamiliar, but basically the pertinent information is that Strider slash Aragorn gets them to a place called Rivendell, which is a sanctuary in a magical elvish underlord, over, ugh, other world. It is a very important location in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, being the place where the quest to destroy the One Ring began. Elrond, the founding elf and lord of Rivendell, who is incidentally also thousands of years old, forms a council, council to discuss the history of Sauron, Sauron and the ring. I'm sorry, y'all. A little tongue-tied today. It's decided that the ring must be destroyed, but can only be done by sending it to the fire of Mount Doom in Mordor, where it was forged. Frodo takes this task upon himself as the ring bearer. Elrond, with the advice of Gandalf, chooses companions for him. So the Fellowship of the Ring consists of nine walkers to oppose the nine black riders who are agents of Sauron. The Fellowship includes Frodo, Sam, Merry, Pippin, Strider, who is actually Aragorn, heir to Ilseador. That's a whole other thing. The movie sums it up really well at the beginning. Um, they give you a lot of exposition that if you don't know anything about the, the story, don't know anything about Tolkien, like know nothing of this world, they sum it up pretty succinctly within the first, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And they give you all of that background that you need to know to understand the story. So anyways, um, Gandalf is another member of the Fellowship, Gimli the Dwarf, Legolas the Elf, Boromir, son of Denethor, the steward of Gondor. And so that makes up the nine that are a part of that Fellowship. The rest of the book follows their journey towards Mordor, trekking through the misty mountains and the perilous mines of Moria, where they are pursued by orcs and a Balrog, which is an ancient fire demon. Most of the Fellowship escapes and find refuge in the timeless elven forest of Lothlorien, where they're counseled by the Lady Galadriel who is played by Kate Blanchett beautifully in um in the in the movie trilogy. So she's wonderful in that role. The dark powers of the ring begin to affect members of the fellowship and Frodo, knowing that the ring will eventually corrupt the entire party if they all stay together, make a sac he makes a sacrifice and he decides to proceed on this perilous journal journey as the ring bearer alone to save his friends. Samwise Gamgee or Sam, guessing what he intends, intercepts Frodo and he, as Frodo tries to take a boat across the river, he goes with him. Can I just say that Sam is like the archetype, archetypal best friend. He is just perfect. For years I've said it, everyone needs a Sam in their life. Sam is selfless, pure of heart, and let's face it, Frodo would have never made it to Mordor without Sam. <laughs> I said it. Sam saved his bacon so many times within the Lord of the Rings, and I know that Frodo is typically viewed as the hero of the story, but Sam is the heart. Frodo wouldn't have made it to Bree without Sam, in the just in the fellowship, um, and I don't feel like Sam gets enough credit. I can't tell you how many times I have watched those movies and I have griped about Frodo and Sam 
Sam's quite literally having to carry him at times, um, which I know is, is a part of the, the story and the plot. Frodo having to carry the ring, it does affect him. But gosh, there are just so many great Sam moments. And if you take nothing else away from this podcast episode, just know that in my personal opinion, Sam is the goat. <laughs> He's the greatest of all time in literature. I also think that Sean Astin was another perfect casting choice for Sam. But to be honest, the entire movie was perfectly cast. I can't imagine anybody else as Aragorn. Um, Viggo Mortensen was perfect. Fun little fact, he didn't learn Elvish for that role, which is just amazing. Considering he also knows seven other languages and he has mastered them, that's just amazing to me. But the movie was perfectly cast and it is a testament to Tolkien and it has stood the test of time. So... So if you've seen the movies or read the book, I would love to hear how all of you felt about the book or the movie series or both. So feel free to follow us on social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest, we'd be happy to see you there. And if you haven't already, hit that follow button so you can follow this weekly podcast. Each week, Yakin County Library staff will be bringing you more topics, so be sure to check in every Wednesday at 1. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you all next month for the next installment of Page to Screen. Happy Wednesday, everyone.